Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. How many in here are, are first-generation Christians? Your parents weren't, weren't saved, but Jesus got a hold of you. How many of those? Raise those hands up really high. Look at that. Come on, guys. Look at that. First-gen Christians. Come on. So good. Just, just feel the Lord on that this morning. And the sense, I remember uh, Misty and I have, have, have talked about this several different times, but, but you who raised your hand, and, and to some degree all of us, but you who just raised your hand, you're, you're, you are battling for the generations. I can't express to you how significant your decision for Christ was. You who raised your hand, and again, all of us, you know, but because we're all responsible to walk it out, right? But, but you have literally redeemed your family name. And, and you, were, you were on this track, and, you, and you're now on the right track. But not just you, but you and the generations that follow so significant. I get, to, I get to stand up here as a first-gen Christian who then God says, and now I want you to lead others. Oh, okay. But because I made the decision that you're making, then I get to stand here on a Sunday and see my daughter on stage. You know, my kids getting married and going off and just serving the Lord with fiery passion because I said yes. It's why I pray you all get a dream tonight of the, the gravity of your yes. And again, that goes for that goes for all the rest of us too. The first gen is just, you know, you didn't have parents who raised you up in the way that you should go. So Jesus had to step in and go, okay, well, I got you anyway, you know, you know, but all of you get to choose this day whom you will serve, what you will model, who you will become, how you will raise your kids, what kind of deposit you will leave, what kind of legacy you will leave. And and there's, you know, you'll see Today, as we, as we dive in, good luck following me, cameras. <laughs> you know, you'll see as we dive in today, like, man, we're talking about the end times, you know? And this is what it's all about. It's not about, hang on, let me mute myself. Now I won't be sniffing in your ears all morning. Yeah, it's not about, you know, hail fire from heaven and rivers that turn to blood and all this, you know. I mean, it's just about Jesus. It's just about Jesus. It's about, it's a, it's a, it's a wake-up call to go, hey, you, you, this thing is serious. This life that you're living, it's serious. 
And, and, so, and so you need to give it the level of priority, your life, Jesus in your life, your growth, your development. You need to give that the level of importance you know, that it deserves. And it's like, yeah, Jesus is coming back and you're going to stand in front of him and look into his fiery eyes. You know, it's like, like he's so gracious, he's so, so kind, he's so compassionate, so long-suffering over us. But, but in that day, like, will I hear, well done, good and faithful servant? I mean, there's a few other scenarios that I can dream up. Like, and again, I'm, I'm not necessarily putting this on Jesus. I'm, I'm just, and I maybe shouldn't even say it, but, but there's a sense in which I, can, I, could, like, I could stand in front of him and kind of go, he's like, you know what? I'll just say this. I'll just, I'll just teach it from the Bible. How's that sound? There are those, it says, who will enter into heaven like as, as if through the fire and everything in their life will have burned up, but they'll have made it. How many of you know that's not the goal? <laughs> that's not the goal for your life. And listen, this morning, if that's the goal for your life, I fear for your life. If your goal is to make it into heaven by the skin of your teeth, and let me say it a different way. If your goal in here this morning is to get as close to the line as possible, what's acceptable and what's not? How close can I get to the line? You're already wrong. How close can I get to the line? doesn't matter. You're already in sin. Uh, but I didn't do anything. Yes, you did. We like to talk here about and Christianity, greater body, we like, well, it's not, it's, it, you don't, you know, your, your thoughts aren't sinful. Au contraire, Jesus says, if you even think about a woman, men, and women, you're not off the hook either. I've read the stats on pornography for women. It's just as tragic. If you've even so much as even thought that way, it's as if you've already done it. So don't you tell me that your thoughts aren't important. In fact, the Bible communicates, it tells us that the battle is actually here anyway. Your thoughts are way more powerful than you think. This stuff, this is important. The way that you think, it's important. The way that you live your life, it's important. The way that you're raising your kids, it's important. What you're putting your hand to, you know, what you're communicating to everybody around you about what is important is important. In other words, your patterns of behavior and what you're spending your time doing, it's important. Every bit of it, it's so significant. And in some ways, as a side note this morning, it's like, I think that's what the book of Revelation is kind of meant in some ways to to impress on us. Jesus is coming back. You're going to give an account. What are you going to Give him. Will he find faithful people when he returns? And, and last week we introduced, I introduced to you like my favorite go-to end times verse. It really comes out of Matthew chapter 24. It's the last part. Because after introducing all of the stuff about the end times, and Matthew 24 is amazing. You know, I, I, I've got it all cut up, and I'm like, and that's the first seal, and that's the second seal. Like, you can see the sequential timeline. It's amazing. It's a fun deep dive. It just can't be your distracting focus, you know? And Jesus introduces this, and, and he puts this cap on the end of it, and he says this, starting in verse 44. For this reason, you must be ready. Are you ready? For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. 
Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. This is the fine point that he put on all of his end time stuff. Blessed is the one who's walking in his calling when I return. Blessed is the one found faithful to be doing that which I told them to do. Now, for some of you, we read this and you think, oh, Lord Jesus, like, I don't even know what I'm called to do. You know, I, I, like, I, I know I'm not called to do that, and I know I, like you have some eliminated, you know, some things eliminated in your life, but you're, but you're still, f- some of you are 60 years old, and you're like, I still don't know what I'm called to do. It's okay, that's not the point of the verse. Okay, see, we don't aim our lives at a calling, some ever elusive, in some cases, calling. We aim our lives at Jesus Christ. You know, and in the pursuit of Jesus, we stumble into, you guessed it, your calling. The aim is always Jesus, not some elusive calling. So if you're still in this process of trying to figure out, I don't want you to be entrapped by this verse and think, oh, Lord, I don't want to stand before you. The point of the verse is to say that we are all called to account. We are all stewards of that which we've been given, and we've all been given something, right? That's kind of the point of the verse. But then Jesus begins to, uh, to introduce to us uh, three, separate parable, three separate parables, the first of which we, uh, well, actually two weeks now in a row we've introduced it. Pastor Todd did a great job initially, and, and I followed up because it just felt like a softball pitch that I needed to, I needed to hit. <laughs> no, really, I just had already felt God speaking about it, and so I felt that it was timely you know, to just tack on to what he was saying. And that first one was the parable of the virgins. And do you remember what the point of that parable was? And remember, understand that Jesus just introduced the end times and now he's answering for us the question, how do we prepare? What do we do? Okay, so it's the end times. Well, how do we prepare? What do we do? He's answering that question and the first answer was found in the parable of the virgins. Do you remember what that was? Say that, Avery. Did I hear you? I thought I heard. Okay, sorry. Anybody. Keep oil in your lamp. Yeah, and what does oil represent? Intimacy. It represents your relationship with Jesus. So the moral of the story is keep Jesus your center. Keep Jesus your aim. Make him your everything such that you would store up for yourself, metaphorically, a vat of oil. And I would submit to you that allows you to be able to burn the light of Christ through thick and thin. You know, especially as we're looking at the end times, one thing is guaranteed, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get a little hairy. Now, have any of you ever experienced anything in your life up to this point where you were like, I think this is the tribulation, like, like this is crazy. Probably every hand would be up. We've all experienced something in the oil of intimacy that's wrung out of our relationship, our, dare I say, pursuit of Jesus through the disciplines of the faith. That's how we get this oil that allows us to continue to burn bright even when we face literally all of hell. When all of it is turned against us, this is how we survive. And some of that is, as we talked about last week, establishing the core value, the foundations of our faith, which again, we excavate through all of the normal things like reading our Bibles, doing a Bible study, going in depth with a community of people who can speak into your life. You know, there's nothing like the church if it's working properly. There's nothing like this place where somebody 
genuinely in love, can look at you and go, there's a little sharp edge right there. Is it, like, can we, can we just talk about this little sharp edge? Oh, I didn't see that sharp edge. You know, like there's nothing like the church for a loving group of non-judgmental people to be able to speak into your life because you're all in it together and you're all equally messed up. I said, so we're all. So I say, we're all instead of you all. Now, maybe I was right the first time. Maybe. <laughs> And then Jesus goes on to introduce a second parable. It's the parable of the talents, and that's what I want to jump into today. But what I need you to see is that all three parables, while expressing something slightly different, they all aim to answer the same question. What shall we do? What do we, how do we prepare? We're in the end times. Well, what are, what are we supposed to do about it? Remember, we're not to get distracted by the end times. We keep our eyes fixed on the author and finisher of our faith, Right? We don't take our eyes off for anything, not for anything. We start out, Matthew 25, verse 14 says, For it's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and then he went on a journey. Now, do you remember last week we talked about in the parable of the virgins that there was this delay, a prophesied delay? He said, and, and when the master delays in his return, remember that? So it's actually reconfirming that here in this, this parable as well. Did you catch it in there? The, it says, and, and when the master went on a journey. So, so the master has gone someplace. He's not there for me to touch, right? Now, Jesus Christ, when he raised from the grave under his own power, after a certain number of days, ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's in the heavenly realm right now. How many of you know that, right? So when that happened, he, how many of you know, went on a journey, So it's talking about the season of life that you and I are in right now. But here's the other thing that he did before he went on his journey. He purchased you with his blood. See, the Bible says that I've been bought with a price. That price was his blood. That I am not my own. Right? So the master has has gone on a journey. And then it says, and then he left his slaves... In charge of his stuff. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, now listen, you gotta, I, mean, you, I need all ears. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been bought with a price. You're not your own. Nothing that you touch is yours. Nothing that you produce is yours. The money in your bank account's not yours. You know, you didn't get that college degree or, you know, high school diploma on your own initiative, on your own will. It's all from him. It's his breath that I breathe. It's his blood that flows through these veins. It's all his. It's all him. I'm just simply a steward who's charged with taking care of his stuff while he is a Away on the delay. That's it. So, so what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to, 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 to go after him with everything that's on the inside of us. But then as we get to parable number two, we find out that our mindset actually has to shift. So how do we prepare? We prepare by getting our heads correct, screwed on right. Like literally, I'm not my own. Now, how many of you need a daily reminder of that? 
Because I don't know about you, but, but when, I, when I look out at the work of my hands, it's pretty easy for me to buy into the lie that I'm, I'm doing some stuff. Like, look at all of this. Like, like, this is my money. Look at how good of a steward I've been of my stuff. Like, look at how, you know, look at how hard I worked for my education. And look at how good of an employee I am for my boss and all, right? And there's a whole lot of me involved in that equation that the Bible is wanting to ring out. We all right? I need a daily reminder that I'm not my own, that nothing I have is mine. That anything I've tried to control or grip too tightly with my hands is, is sinful and wrong and inappropriate. That everything I have in life I hold like this because it's not mine. And if it's not mine, then I have to be intentional with it. If my life is not mine, if my stuff is not mine, then I think about it differently. Am I wrong? The, the way that I view my life all of a sudden is, is different because if my life was mine, well, however I spent it, it doesn't really make a bit of difference, does it? I can squander it. I can do whatever I want. Uh, in this world, we call that being God of my own life. If this is mine, I can do whatever I want with it. But if I've been bought with a price, if I'm not my own, if Jesus bought me with his blood and I have said yes to you as Lord, as king and as master then now all of a sudden I have a responsibility not to please me, but to please him. The aim of my entire life, guys, is not to please me. It's to please him. What are we to do to prepare for the second coming? We've got to change our minds. We have to change the way that we think. We firstly have to come into this place where we realize I am not my own. It's not mine it's his. And listen, I'm, I'm just, let me just take it a little bit further. And my opinion doesn't really matter. I don't really want to do that, Lord. That's uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't really get to weigh in on that. Now, he's so gracious and kind, and he loves a relationship, and he's invited me into that, and we have some dialogues, but at the end of the day, he is king, he is God, he is Lord, and he is master. And it doesn't matter how uncomfortable I am. I just get to be obedient and do what he said because he bought me. He can do whatever he wants with his property. It's a challenging word because it's far too easy to think that everything that I have put my hand to is actually mine. It's a whole other parable. We won't get into that about the, the vineyard, the vine growers having believed that just because they were the one doing the work, that somehow that gave them ownership. And when they fell into that belief, when the master finally came, it didn't end very good for them. See, again, we would liken that unto being Lord of my own life. And if I'm Lord of my own life, what awaits me is a, as a, as a fiery expectation and gnashing of teeth and tortured pain and misery for an eternity. Yes, hell is real. First thing we need to do, we need to change our minds. We are but a steward. Verse 16. I'm going to read this. 
because there's far too many people who don't read their Bibles, so put on your seatbelts. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received two talents gained two more. But he who had received one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. How many know Jesus is coming back? Verse 20, the one who had received the five talents came up and and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you've entrusted me with these talents. See, I have gained five more talents. The master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. The words that every single one of us wants to hear. You were faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22, and the the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you had entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more talents. His master had said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Note that the number two guy wasn't expected to produce five. Just a side note. Just a side note. He got the same reward. Verse 24, and the one... The one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid. And I went away and I hid, my, uh, hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and he said to him, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have at least put my money in the bank. And upon my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For, the, for to everyone who has, more shall be given And he will have an abundance, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away from him. And listen to this. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't really want to be the last guy. We can't lose sight of the end times context here. When we're reading the parable. And I don't know that I've ever heard anybody say that. You're welcome. This fresh man around here. <laughs> we can't lose sight of the end times context around here. We are still answering the question, what do we do? How do we prepare? Jesus is doing that with these parables. Here's the truth, guys. As we've already talked about, we are just stewards. We've all been given gifts. Is that right? Every single one of us, we have talents. I I love that the word here for money is talent because I think it puts it in such perspective for us. We all have a sphere of influence. By the way, you're responsible to reach that sphere of influence. We all have a family. We all have a brain. Well, most of us. (laughs) We all have a physical body. We all have a job. Most of us. (laughs) I guess I would ask this, if it's all God's, how are you doing? How are you doing stewarding God's stuff? And and just in case you missed it, you're God's stuff. How are you doing stewarding yourself? How are you doing stewarding your brain? How are you doing stewarding your thoughts, what you've been dwelling on? How are you doing stewarding your mouth? 
How are you doing stewarding the development of the gifts that God has given you? How are you doing this morning? See, it takes intentionality, doesn't it? When I realize that I have been entrusted with something that is someone else's, then I have to begin to think differently. I act differently. I'm concerned with that which concerns my master. My will is deferred entirely to him. How are we doing with our lives? Are we good stewards or are we not? This maybe is not a good example for you, but I'm a car guy. Now, I don't know, like, how would you drive somebody else's car? If, if I borrowed one of your cars, <laughs> Trevor, you're out, buddy, security. <laughs> you know, I mean, if I borrowed one of your guys' cars, you know, like, I, I would take the utmost care with that vehicle. I mean, the last thing, I would be mortified if something happened to your vehicle on my watch. I would take extra care. I wouldn't drive it. I want to take good care of my own stuff, you know, but theoretically speaking, I would, well, you know what? Here, this will get you. I wouldn't drive it like a rental car. And, and if the owner of that car, if you gave me explicit instructions, hey, this is how this works, this is where this is, and this is what you need to do here, I'm going to heed those instructions. Why? Because it's not my car. It's your car. You want me to take off my shoes when I get in there? Because <laughs> you bougie. <laughs> you know, Misty was talking about getting booties for our Lexus. And I was like, listen, I love this woman. I love her more every day. Yes, booties for the Lexus. You want, me to, you want me to put on booties when I'm in your car? Then you got it. I'm putting on booties, man. I don't have to even have the value for it, right? This is so, I can't even believe right now. This guy is ridiculous, right? Because but what am I doing? I'm going to put on the booties. It, because my opinion really doesn't matter. The only opinion that does is the guy who owns the vehicle. And if I'm not my own, then the only opinion that matters is the guy who owns this vehicle. I just feel this for, for somebody in here. And so for some of you, that means you need to shut your mouth and change your thinking because you've been looking in the mirror and you've been telling God his stuff is ugly and broken and messed up and he's getting sick and tired of listening to it. Don't you talk about my stuff. I love that stuff. I spilled my blood for that stuff. How dare you speak about my stuff like that? If you're just a steward, boy, I tell you, come in my house and start talking about how garbage all my stuff is, I'm going to get ticked. I mean, listen, okay, what are we doing here? Like, I'm going to call Bud. That's Bud. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> some of you need to knock it off. You start talking about God's property like God talks about his property. Because you're just a steward of it. It's amazing to me, it's amazing to me that, that, I mean, here we are in a charismatic church, so maybe it's falling on the uh, choir here, if you will. It's amazing to me what, we, what comes out of our mouth. It's like there's this place where we believe that 
Let me say it this way. There's this place where we believe and understand that, that if I as a parent were to continually speak negative over my child over and over and over again, that they're going to be raised up believing the negative lies that I've spoken over him. Do we know that? Is that true? Right? So we know that negative things produce a negative result when we continue to speak them out. At some point, that person embraces them by faith. What we fail to believe is that the positive will do the same thing. This is, this is just a, a necessary rabbit trail for someone, maybe for a lot of someone's. You need to begin to put the same amount of faith over your positive declarations as you've been putting over the negative. You know where the negative is going to lead you. How about trying the positive for a little while? Well, it's not true. We're not talking about lying. We're just talking about partnering with what he says. Your opinion doesn't really matter, does it? So I'm guessing if your opinion is different than his, you're the one that's wrong. Fair? Okay, good. Rabbit trails are necessary on on occasion. But then it makes me realize that I have no idea where I'm at anymore. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) The second thing we need to understand about this is this. Stewardship in God's eyes is multiplication. Let that sink in just for a minute. Because most of us believe that stewardship is talent number one guy. But I kept it safe. Here it is. You have what is yours. I didn't mess it up. I didn't eat it while you were gone. I didn't didn't squander it in some way. I I think I'm a pretty good steward. You, You have what you gave me. And he's like, get away from me, you wicked and lazy slave. Oof. But most of us believe that's good stewardship. He's trying to communicate to us that's not good stewardship. Good stewardship equals multiplication. And and it's it's not lost on me that, that that you find that word in the original commission. All the way back in the book of Genesis, you find him declaring over man, go and multiply. Go and multiply. Now, as we fast forward to the New Testament, how many of you know that commission has been reinstated? It looks slightly different, as many other things do in this period of time. But it's been reinstated. It looks a lot like the Great Commission. You know, I'm going I'm to change it just slightly to say it like this. Go and preach the gospel to all of creation, and then what do we do with them? Make disciples. So in the New Testament, this go and multiply actually is tied in the broadest sense to, it, to the reality of discipleship. It's discipleship. Now that's scary to me because as a church, and I don't mean ours, I mean as a church collectively, we're not doing a great job at that. And it wasn't optional. It is literally the great commission of the New Testament. Go and make disciples. What is he saying? Go and multiply yourself and others. You have something to offer no matter where you are in the faith. Go and make disciples. Go preach the gospel to all of creation. When you bring those fish in, get them cleaned up. Like, this is what it's talking about. So he's actually tying a sense, I'll submit this to you, he's tying a sense of what our good stewardship in the earth looks like. He's tying uh, that to our ability to multiply, to our ability to disciple and raise up others around us. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm looking to stand before God and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, and he's tying it to the multiplication or the discipleship or me being able to replicate myself and others, That puts the fear of God in me. 
Does it you? <laughs> There's good news, people. We still have two destiny groups available to sign up for. And we've made a huge hard shove as a church into trying to figure out how to navigate these waters and to do what, that which we've been prescribed to do in the scriptures. And we do it here largely in our destiny groups. So get signed up so that you could be a good steward of your life. It's, 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 not a, it's not a sales pitch. It's the reality of the pathway that we are offering so that we can be biblically sound and we could fulfill those things that God is calling us to. In the broader sense, I would say this. Good stewardship of our lives looks like maturity. It looks like maturity. See, I, if I'm supposed to multiply then that which I've been given in terms of gifts and talents and all that kind of stuff, I'm supposed to actually improve upon it. Do you think Patrick Mahomes would be able to do what he does today had he not, not is, the, is the boy gifted? He is gifted. Maybe one of the most gifted people, so the commentators say, ever. He is an amazing quarterback, but he's amazing because he took the gift of God that was on his life and he actually then stewarded it such that he's able to do what he's able to do today. See, you have a requirement to actually go after maturity in whatever God has given you. And in the broader sense, maturity as a human being, part of the multiplication, part of the, 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 part of the good stewardship that's on our life is just becoming a better parent. You know, it's, wow, I don't know how to be a parent. Well, instead of continuing to suck at it, actually go and talk to some people who you admire and get better at it. Why? Because that's what intentional stewards do. Like, I've been entrusted with these children by God. We've already established these children aren't mine, though I worked really hard to bring them into the world. That was a good joke. You all just, just weren't sure whether you should laugh at it or not is all that was. <laughs> you know, but they're not, they're not mine, they're, they're his, so I'm charged with the stewardship. So if I don't know how to be a parent because nobody's ever modeled it to me, then I have a responsibility to multiply what I've been given and to go after parenting until I can do it better, right? And the same goes for absolutely every other area. See, there's going to be a day when you wake up and you go, man, I think I'm called to be a leader, but I don't even know the first thing about leadership and how to lead people. And what the... Then you get to go read books. You get to go and ask somebody to mentor. Actually, I, I like what Eric Johnson said about mentorship recently. He said, you don't ask somebody to mentor you. You just get involved in their life and you glean from them because people, good leaders usually don't have time to mentor you one-on-one. You know, but they absolutely welcome somebody to come serve. And in that service, you actually get mentored. You want to be a good leader? Bunk your life up under somebody who you admire. You, know, you want to be a good husband, a good, a good wife? You know, then bunk your life up under people who know how to do that well, who have a, a long, rich history of doing that well. You don't know how to communicate, as is often part of the marriage, the marriage equation. Then, then, then begin to read, go after that study. Like, again, you have a responsibility to multiply what you've been given. You have a stewardship in your marriage. You have a stewardship in your parenting. You have a stewardship in your finances. You don't get the opportunity to just accept mediocrity in any of those areas. Well, I'm just not good at finances, says most people, by the way. Well, it's just not an area that I'm very good at. Well, then you need to get good at it. Why? Because God aligns good stewardship with multiplication. You have a responsibility to pursue maturity in the areas where you're weak. Well, I don't know, I don't know how to talk to people without 
being rude. But you've got a responsibility to get it figured out. You don't have the, you can't just be like, well, this is just how I was raised. My mom was rude to me and now I'm rude to you. <laughs> okay. You know, so in, in, the, in the broader sense, this multiplication of the stewardship on our life, it's, it's going after maturity. And how many, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I thought about it though. It's going to ask how many people are gainfully employed, but maybe that's not a good question. <laughs> the rest of you will pray for you. You know, if you were hired on for a company and you never got any better at your job, how long would you have your job? Now, we're not talking about government employment. <laughs> he laughs nervously. <laughs> You probably won't have your job very long, right? You're going to tick off every single person around you. You're like, oh my gosh, I gotta, I'm, work, I'm slotted, scheduled to work with Bud again. Oh, Bud is misery. Bud's amazing. Yeah, just, just a good example on a target. So. Right? Like, that's the way it works. Like, like if, if I don't improve, I lose. Even that which I have is taken away from me. It's not just a job. It's not just an automobile. But by the way, what happens if I borrow somebody's car? You know what I mean? And, and, and they told me to wear the booties, but now I've just mudded it all up. You know, if it's a person with mature, healthy boundaries, you don't ever get a car again. But I've got a desperate need. I've got this situation. I don't care what you got. Why? Because you weren't a good steward of that which was not your own. The Bible says if you are not a, a good steward of that which is another, how will God ever entrust to you that which is your own? That's the word of God. It's offensive when we read the last part of this parable and we think, well, the guy, you mean the impoverished guy who was like fearful and clearly ill-equipped? Like that, you're like, you're taking his talent and his position from him. You're giving it to the guy with 10 and if you didn't hear it, that's not socialism, by the way. Yeah, because he didn't know, he, he refused to steward what he was given. So even what he has gets devoured by the enemy. Even what he has gets wrecked and ruined. So you have a responsibility to shore up your areas of weakness, to go after maturity in your faith, maturity socially. You don't know how to act around people? Then start asking people for feedback. Is it weird when I do this? Yes, thank you for asking. It is very weird. <laughs> but seriously... Any area where you lack maturity, you have a responsibility to multiply, you know, to be a good steward of that, to grow, to grow in your faith, to grow socially, to grow in your ability to manage that which you've been entrusted. So important that we get a hold of this. Gosh, I need a daily reminder of it. What if my boss asked me to do something? And I was like, yeah, I'm just not feeling that today. <laughs> I mean, we all know, right? I mean, you might get three shots max at that kind of lackadaisical attitude. When we're talking about God, we're talking about eternity. We're talking about stewarding 
not something that's a temporal business, boss, company, paycheck, but something that literally will garner dividends forever. I think that we should take it more importantly than the job, than anything else, don't you? I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. I think for some of us that means we need to start paying better attention to what we eat. If this body is not my own, then the way that I treat it matters, doesn't it? And what's the age-old adage? Adage, is there a... Adage, thank you. It's diet and exercise. It's not a pill. It's not anything else. It's just, I don't feel like it, but you're not your own. You're not your own. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And Ecclesiastes says, you fool, why should you die before your time? Wait, you, you mean it's possible for me to cut my life short through bad behavior? So that would be the opposite of good stewardship in case there was a question. And the Bible says it's possible for me to do that. So my bad stewardship can actually lead to premature death? I don't think that's what God's looking for. You know, we have a responsibility. That's the bottom line. We have a stewardship. I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own. I have to change my mindset. I'm not here to please myself. I'm here to please my boss. It's more than that. It's more than a boss. I'm here to please the one who I yielded ownership of my life to. That kind of takes it to a new level, doesn't it? So what are we supposed to do to prepare? How do we walk out these end times? We recognize we've been bought with a price. We're not our own. We submit to the master in obedience. And we intentionally go after growth in every area of our lives. Pastor Todd started out with it. Who is the blank guy who says there's a lion in the streets, right? It was the lazy guy. I don't have the right to be a lazy steward. Don't have the right. And so that has to necessarily change the way I live my life, the way I think about my life, the way I yield my life, what I'm pursuing with my life, what I'm thinking in my head about my life, what I'm thinking in my head about the people that are around me, the, my work ethic, my stewardship of my work ethic, even in my place of employment, even if my boss is a miserable wretch, it changes everything. Guys, if we could get a hold of this one thing, we would change the world. Christians would be the most highly sought-after employees in the whole of the nation because we wouldn't be entitled, complaining, lazy bums. We would be those who work as unto the Lord and not for this earthly master that's been given me. Amen? Father, we recognize this changes everything. But Jesus, woof, it kind of feels like because you've given me such ability to choose, like I have, so and I do in a sense, I have sovereignty over my life. I can do whatever I want to do. And boy, it's like it's true. But because it's also true, it's like it makes me believe lies. That I'm my own. That I can do whatever I want with that which is my own. I'm asking you by your spirit to break those lies off of us today. We repent of holding 
too closely, too tightly to anything in our life, to our calling, to our destiny, you know, to our past, you know, our upbringing, our, our you know, just whatever, any of our declarations that we, where we would say, well, I'm not very good at that. I'm not very good at that. Were there obvious stewardship issues? Lord, we give it all to you. We repent of saying, oh, I'm not good at that, thus making an excuse for me not to get good at it. We repent for any area, God, where you've called us to, to, to intentionally mature, where we've just refused to do so because, well, it's hard. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. We give you the excuse, well, this is just how you made me. No, that's not true. That's another lie. And again, this morning, we lay these lives down. We said yes. Most of us in this room, we said yes. And when we said yes, we came under. And we just acknowledge that this morning. And we again go low. We again place ourselves under your lordship. You are God. You are king. You are master. We are but humble slaves doing your will. And in the same breath, I thank you that you also call me friend. That you invite me to live in your house, drive your cars, go on vacation on your dime. <laughs> Boy, you're good to us, God. You're so generous and kind. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.